Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sea Change Podcast. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and this is your go-to show to meet the most interesting and inspiring people living, working, and recreating along the American shorelines. And it feels really nice to be back in this hosting capacity after hitting the road for a mini-series last month titled Voices of a Healthy Ocean. That series is also housed on the American Shoreline Podcast Network, so go ahead and check it out if you haven't yet, because I am incredibly proud of how it turned out. I also want to offer my gratitude and appreciation for my co-host for that series, Sarah Winter Whelan, as well as all of the incredible people we met along our journey. And so now that we are back in our regularly scheduled programming, welcome everybody to September. I honestly feel like I blinked and summer somehow disappeared. So I hope that you all have been able to get out and soak up all of the sights, sounds, smells, and energy of the season, because there is nothing quite like the feeling of filling your lungs with sweet summer air, dipping your toes, or even your whole body into a lake, river, or the ocean, and nestling your feet into a carpet of grass, or maybe even digging them deep down to find the cool sand at the beach. So as we kick off this episode, my ask of you listeners is to take advantage of these final few weeks of summer in whatever way feels most soul-fulfilling to you. And speaking of soul-fulfilling, Something that brings me a lot of hope and joy in this world is learning about and connecting with people like our guest today, Angela Abshore. So Angela is the founder of Sail to Shelter, which is a nonprofit organization that is determined to give elite sales a meaningful second life and help lives of millions of people in the process. Angela, welcome to the show and thank you for joining me. Oh, Jenna, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. And what a great road trip. I listened to some of your podcasts from your trip and it just sounded incredible. Oh, we had so much fun. And that really was born out of the idea of uh, the work that I do. In addition to the podcast is running this grassroots advocacy group. And we have so many people that are just doing incredible work in our community. And you know, over the course of the pandemic where we've been so distanced, we were really feeling starved for that in-person connection. And we're always looking for ways to uplift our community members. And so Sarah and I were kind of sitting around one day and we were like, how do we do this? And how do we turn it into this epic summer adventure and um, just hit the ground running from there? So yeah, <laughs> it's a <laughs> it's like an a example of, of of what inspires me so much is when you just shake things up, right? And go do things a little bit differently. Yeah. And how much- are just going to go do it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, you know, we talk about this a lot too, Sarah and I, is that we're a very small team. We're very lean for how big our community is. We have about 250 members, but our leadership team is like two and a half person because we have somebody's part-time. And I think that's a that's a strength for us in many ways, even though it presents challenges occasionally. Um is that we can be like, oh, we just want to go do this road trip and create this really amazing podcast mini series, um, and we don't have to really run it up the chain to anybody else. We, can we are the chain. It. That's right. <laughs> yeah. We just said yeah. yes. 
<laughs> yep, we said yes, and we're we're on the road. I love it. Yeah. Well, so also for listeners, this is a particularly exciting moment because you are going to hear Angela and I get to know each other in real time because other than emailing back and forth, this is the first time we're actually speaking to each other. I hear your voice. Yes. Talking know, to me. So I've nice. heard it talking to so many other people. It's my turn. <laughs> yeah. Give me the mic. Yeah. Right. We're, we're doing it. We're doing it live. Um, so Angela, will you walk us down your life path a little bit and, and sort of fill me and the listeners in on some of your background? Sure. Um, I, I guess I like to think that I was always more creative than I was smart. And I feel like I would be happier with watercolors and right, some sort of a project or cut and paste craft situation. But it was also this... Um, I really wanted to be a lawyer, right? I really wanted to. I really wanted to go fight for the underdog. Is is really what it was about, and I and I did that in the entertainment world. So for me, there was this. I found myself caught in this trilogy between art, commerce, and technology, and I felt like the person, the the, the thing that's getting lost in all of that is the actual creator, right, and the creation. Mm -hmm. And so I was really inspired. I was a, like you. I was a journalism major, and. Um, and then I, I kind of, I got wrapped around the idea that how do we continue to support artists and musicians and creators when we're going to decide that we don't pay them for their work? Yeah. And that sort of led me down a really beautiful and quite entrepreneurial path of discovering and enjoying and meeting all of these amazing creative people and helping them find ways to monetize their contributions, really. So that's sort of an umbrella of, of the things that I've done. And I've done that through, I've worked in, I've worked in uh, blockchain, I've worked in casino gaming, I've worked in uh, video gaming, I've worked in uh, film production, all these different interesting creative endeavors that also require some pretty serious legal and and, and commerce so, sort of instruments and, and tools and knowledge. Um, and I did a lot of work and I've always been in fashion. So, so, so fashion is sort of, I come at this whole ocean thing from a real creative perspective, really this more curiosity about what else could we do? Mm -hmm. So for me, it was always about maximizing the value of something. Um, I'm going to go down a whole thing here. Are we ready for this? Are you ready for me? I'm like, let's There's got to be another. I know. Here we go. I mean. <laughs> no, I mean that in like the most. I'm very excited. I love a rabbit hole. I love uh, a scenic route off of our, our conversation. So let's go. I'm, I'm in it. Well, it really, it was just about beautiful things. And what else can we do with beautiful things? And and honestly, I felt I was working on on blockchain. I was working on on the rice industry and and creating um, banking and insurance tools for 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 different systems. And it started to be this idea around what's creative and working and not working, and how are we protecting creators? And then it, and then you take a deep dive into systems and why are certain systems what they are, and are they working for us? And just like with music production, right? I mean, with anything that's being made or produced is the system in place to make sure that all of that's working right. And I just felt like there was this, what happened for me in, 
in sustainable fashion and in the rice exchange was that there was this there was this gap in materials and there was just this overconsumptive usage and then at a time when we didn't think about waste we didn't think about having too much of a thing and so we were creating a secondary marketplace for dead stock material in the garment industry and using blockchain technology to um, to identify it and locate it and then and then from a commercial perspective shop off of that and and then i started sailing and i started thinking well i wonder where this dead stock is where is the dead stock of all of this incredible sale material and so in the fashion industry we take the dead stock and if and if one particular designer didn't use that particular wash of denim or weight of denim then, then hopefully these days we're finding someone else who wants to use that because we used all the natural resources that we had to, right? I mean, you go tap natural resources, you design linearly, you create linearly, and you use linearly. Mm-hmm. And it just, for me, for many years, that has felt like a really bad system Yeah. today. Like it's not a sustainable system. We can't continue to go to the well of unused resources, tap them not have a plan to replace those resources, use them once or twice before we discard them. It's just a very simple, like, take, make, use, dispose, right? Yep. Yep. It's like you got to bring that line back around to a circle. That's right. We, we, we're going to we're gonna put some bend in this line. So we're going to bend this up. So that's what... Um, really honestly living on a, I mean, living, having all of that understanding, right. Of, of, and and me trying to figure out how are we going to, what are we going to do with all this waste in the world? First of all, stop making waste. (laughs) Wait, first stop making material. Can we just shut those machines off for a minute? Yeah. We've got to figure out how to like repurpose it. And right. And and it's so, so to me, Jenna, it's that simple. And I was like, just stop for a minute. Where, where are these sales? Where is this material? What else can we do with it? And when you're racing, I mean, it's a competitive sport, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you want to do? You want to win. And how do you win? we got to have the newest. Got to have the greatest. Got to have all the secret, right? I mean, the technology around these things is incredible. But it, it, it means that at the end of that race or that regatta or two regattas, maybe, the sale is done. Well, sales are huge mm-hmm. and they're extraordinary. I mean, for me, first of all, I think they're beautiful. So I just started thinking, we got to do something else with these. At the time, Jen, I was also living in downtown LA in a loft. Uh-huh. And I was living in a loft above uh, Skid Row. Okay. I don't know if you know downtown LA, but... It's one thing for us to drive through a homeless community, right? It's one thing to drive under a bridge, you're in a city and and you just think, right? And we all just keep driving. But for this period of time, I was living over this community and they became my community. Mm -hmm. You can't not be part, we're all part of the same thing. And so the impact of that experience for me personally was so deep and profound. And this is where you and I had a a very short conversation offline, which was about that 
like sense of belonging in this space? Well, yeah, and that sense of fixing a system. Yeah. So I was sort of like, I couldn't quite live with myself that I had to drive my car out of three gates, right? And out of a, mm-hmm. a hole in the ground garage so that I could then drive out to the ocean in LA and race a yacht. But I had to drive through these communities. And this was, this was in 2019, 18 and 19. And then I left downtown LA in December of 2019, right before the pandemic. And when the pandemic hit, all I could think is all my neighbors are going to die. The only thing we knew in those early days was we're going (laughs) to, right? Remember the first time we heard like self-isolation or quarantine or whatever the words were, we were like, what? We're not supposed to be around. Like it was just panic. And all I could think is- Everyone panicked. Everyone that was able to shut themselves in, including myself, right? Like I, I- I was prepared for like the world to end. <laughs> well, don't you remember? We were all like, I mean, I could, I, on the West People Coast. People were like hoarding <laughs> stuff and. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and all we knew was we're going to have to, you're going to have to isolate. And I thought, okay, well, okay. Why don't we go use those shelters or go use those, those sales that I know we're never going to use again, that I know are going to go into landfill and why don't we use them to stand up? I mean, I'm like, why are we not? We could just build. We can build forever, right, with these things. So I started making some phone calls. And nobody picked up the phone. <laughs> and I started to realize that um, we're not going to, nobody, this is too hard of a thing to fix, right? Nobody is actually going to. And this is when I started to take a hard look at systems in this space. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how do we protect? these people? How do we help these people? And so I, then I also realized, Jenna, to your to our point earlier, I'm not a humanitarian aid organization and I cannot take on this problem mm-hmm. is what I felt like. And I don't feel like it's my problem to take on homelessness in this country. You know, I mean, that wasn't it. But what I know is that the sailing community is generous. They're amazing. And our tools are amazing. So I called my friends at World Central Kitchen and I said, I can build you shade and shelter using almost new or like new material that is huge and durable and generally located very near where you are. Mm -hmm. You say that as I'm like, I'm sitting here looking at my Jose Andres. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We feed people, right? And and I just want to be, we shelter people. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, will you quickly um, share a little bit more just about Sail to Shelter's mission before we get farther down the path of how the organization came to be? Yes, the mission is to use elite racing sails as industrial solutions for shade and shelter for human beings in crisis areas. Yeah, and so I feel like probably listeners are are sitting there and they're like elite racing sales. Mm-hmm. How, right. Like how did that click in your mind? I guess like what is like, I, so I, I'm like stumbling over my words a little bit. Cause I'm, I'm thinking about 
I don't even really have all the terminology for like sailing. It's the I best, very yeah. <laughs> minimal yeah. experience in that. Like I lived in Annapolis, Maryland for a little while and I had a friend with a sailboat. So we'd cruise around Chesapeake Bay on occasion or like up here now where I live in the Portland, Maine area, they have all kinds of like schooner companies that will take you on sunset cruises to Portland. So sometimes we like to do like happy hours out there, but uh, that's about the extent of, of my sailing experience. And so I'm just interested if you would talk a little bit more about like, what is that connection between um, sailing and like the elite racing and Grand Prix racing and that connection to then those sales becoming recycled into shelters. You bet. Uh, and thanks for the question. And, and what's great about the question is that I didn't grow up sailing either. I mean, I was born in Arkansas. I was in Wyoming. I went to grad school on the East Coast. I have been a water lover. I, you know, I, I have, I have moved myself to the water. I'm the perfect blue mind, right? I mean, I'm mm-hmm. the, I'm the Wallace Nichols example of get me to the water, and I'm. I think better clear, right? It's just that. We love Wallace yeah, Nichols. Yeah, yeah, For yeah. listeners who do not, who are not familiar with Jay Nichols, please mm. go look him up because he's a, he's a dear friend of the Healthy Ocean Coalition and he's a very um, powerful and impactful speaker and advocate for the um, psychological and mental health benefits that visiting and spending time in nature, especially water, can have on the human mind and body. So um, that's like a little side plug there for Jay Wallace. For Jay Wallace. Please read it. I, it. I've lived on the ocean for so many years and I, Jay Wallace could send me a thank you note if he's listening because I, I buy sure the book. Bu- yeah. <laughs> I buy the book in bulk and I literally give it to everybody because when they leave my house, they just go, oh my gosh, I can't believe how good I feel. And I'm like, I wish I could claim that, but it is that. It is that. It is yes. that. So Blue Mind. Blue Mind, Jay Wallace Nichols. Please put it yeah. on your, get it, listen to it, read it, give it to everybody, yeah. and, and then, then get to the water. Get to the water, and then we'll collect our commission. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Jay, if you're listening, I've got some back, uh, some, some commission checks that are overdue. Um, I love it. I love getting it. Sometimes it's $10 on Amazon. Sometimes it's 20. It doesn't matter. And and I buy it at local bookstores too, just so they all know. I buy the, I've bought the book hundreds of times because I think it's important. We all go to the ocean for our vacations. We all go to the sunsets cruises. Why are we doing that? This is why. That's right. Feeds our soul. There's something that, um, it's an unspoken, it's just the energy. It's you can, whatever you need, I feel like in that moment, you're going to receive mm. from the water mm. and the ocean or forest, wherever, whatever mm. piece of nature you're in. Mm. That's right. And as sailors, they have found it on the water, right? And I was fortunate enough to have been introduced to sailing at a really high level. Um, I was introduced to sailing at at a you know, a 40 foot yacht level and started racing far forties in the world championship. I mean, I had also never done team sports, which was incredible for me because, um, the whole thing about sailing was inspiring to me from where we were to how it worked to the dance of a team. And when you get in flow and when the whole thing works, I mean, it's just, there is this magical thing. And then the lens that I saw that through, this is what I think is so important about this conversation and how 
I found myself in this place where I'm sort of fumbling around this idea of being this conservationist because I have a lens that's unique to me because of my life experiences, right? And this is what I encourage everybody to be mindful of is that, but for all of these crazy life experiences, I was able to see what I saw, right? Which was, we have to do more with these things. Like, not only because we, I mean, first and foremost, you already used up the natural resources so that you could go race a boat. Mm-hmm. Let's do something else with it when we're finished. Right? I mean, there has to be more than one use for things. There doesn't oh, have to sure. be, but there should be. Yep. But And that's really, that's sail to shelter, right? Like, I think when you look at elite and Grand Prix sales, and if you or for the listeners, if anybody's interested, the other thing I've watched millions of times and, and send to everybody as my inspiration is if you go onto YouTube and put in J class, J as in Johnson, J class, and look at those boats and look at those sails and tell me they don't look like skyscrapers. Mm, I'm going to have to go look that up after. Well, tell me you don't see how they could double as the side of a building. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like, what else can we do with this incredible material? The materials are made of Kevlar, right? It's this very high-performance aramid fibers. This is not your grandmother's sheet, right? Sales are, it's a whole nother material and composite, and it has features and, and, and possibilities that we don't have with anything else. And so because I didn't come from a sailing community, right? I'm not a sailor. I'm not a rigger. I don't, I'm not a sail maker. I went from a, to a design aesthetic and I contacted architects and engineers and I said, look what I have. What could we do? So it, it, then it sort of inspired this whole other discipline of these, uh, of architects and engineers who feel like they have found this new material that they never Right. I mean, all of a sudden there's like a, an endless supply of essentially corrugated plastic in the world. Mm-hmm. And what are we going to do with it? And then the other thing is beautiful is sailors are so meticulous with their with their materials. Everything is cleaned, mothballed, rolled up beautifully and stored in either some climate control container or shipping container or sailing loft. And they're all that's where they live or they go yeah, into landfill. Like light bulb moment of like. Wow, look at all of this material that isn't going to be used anymore that's ready, like it's ready to go and become something else. I think that's that, it. That's beautiful. I think that it gets at what really lives at this heart. The heart of the show is the reframing mm-hmm. of the way that we all view the world that needs to happen. And I don't know if it's like we all in terms of the people that are on the show because. The reason we I have you all on the show is because I think you're doing just that. And I'm hoping you'll inspire others to, you know, get out there and do what they can. And I think in terms of reframing, this is this is sort of a, a challenge that I had. And I know before we started recording, we also talked about this a little bit with um, the way that we viewed how welcome we might be in the conservation space or how much mm. room there was for us here that we even belong here. The, the imposter syndrome that so many people experience, including myself about, I mean, 
a lot of different things, but specifically in the context yeah. of this Is that a different show? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like we could, you could just have like a whole podcast called imposter syndrome. Yeah. There probably are. Yeah. <laughs> there probably is. If not, somebody get on that. I don't have time to have another podcast. Yeah, but, right. um, <laughs> the reframing of the way that like you and I and our listeners think about solving these complex problems that feel too large to mm. have any impact on that can be paralyzing mm. and just stop you in your tracks right there. Even if you have a really interesting idea, like what you're doing, Angela is. And I think, you know, what we were talking about at the beginning of the show with Sarah and I having a really small team and having the power just to be like, we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Like we need more of that. We need more people looking around in their communities and saying, hey, yeah, maybe I can't take down the fossil fuel industry, but I can have this impact in my community. That's right. I can pull on these levers. I can start getting like-minded people together or people with all differing viewpoints together to have these conversations and start, just start doing something. I know that sounds really vague, but that's like, I feel like such a, a, loud message that we try to like scream from the rooftops of this podcast is it's the reframing of our own worldview and the way that we view ourselves and the power that we really can have as individuals, especially when we are working within a community and building community. Well, the, the most inspiring days I have I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, and just to, to illustrate the way I, how important I think all of that is to me is, is that I am so clear that it is because of each one of us are equipped with a view of the world that is our very own mm-hmm. and a view of, and, and we all have things that are important to us. And it is the application of your, of your experiences that you have had in your life with the things that are important to you. And then for me, I have this true belief to be in service to the highest good. Yeah, same. This isn't about me. I don't feel like it's about me. I know, well, I know, I mean, it is so divine how this project has been lifted and carried and continues to be supported around the world. People contact me from around the world. Every day I wake up with somebody else who found this organization somehow and they want to contribute. Mm -hmm. I am moving rigging from super yachts from Spain over to Poland and into Ukraine. I am moving sails from New Orleans and San Diego to Texas and they're being smuggled into the country by nuns into Mexico. What I have learned about how hard people are working to protect people is the most inspiring thing I've ever seen. The fact that people around the world are finding me, listen, this was not, this, this is like an accidental thing. Mm-hmm. This wasn't like Angela's dream is coming true. No, no. I stumbled on something that has now caught fire that I feel like I have a responsibility to finish. Yeah. I actually don't think it's a wrong. I don't think, right. I think it's actually 
a good idea. And I actually don't think we have an option, Jenna. I actually think that the reason I keep getting phone calls is because when they're trying to find new material to make things out of, it isn't available. Yep. Yeah. And then look, there you are. And here I am. (laughs) There you are. And I think that, I mean, you're, you mentioned something that I think is incredibly beautiful and just want to put a fine point on it in that when you interact, like any one of us, for the most part, and I know that like the pandemic and the way the political world is right now has brought out some really nasty sides of people and we're in a very tense time. Mm. But if you connect with a, a, like a human being, like sit down and talk to them face to face, I wholeheartedly believe that most people want to do the right thing or the good thing or have the best interest of others in mind. You know, like if you see somebody trip on the street, I feel like most people are going to go like try to help them up, right? Like there is that good and that love that's ingrained in people. I think we live in a time right now that we've just, many of us have gotten so far away from that or view it as like your flag is over here and my flag's over here. And that means that I hate you, but Mm. I don't, it does, it feels, that feels gross to me. That Mm. feels so unnatural. And I think a big reason why this show exists in the first place is because when I walk around the world, I do see that there's a lot of good out there. There are a lot of people that are doing everything that they can to work toward progress. And that's not really highlighted and celebrated in the way that I feel it should be. And so I'm like, okay, I have this platform Mm. with this microphone and I know it's not like a massive audience. So we have a decent following and it's continuing to grow, but I, I think it's so worth my while to seek out people that are doing really good things in the world and taking a moment to highlight and celebrate them. Because then it's like this ripple effect of somebody else listens to the show and then they they are aware of, you know, what you're doing, Angela. Absolutely. And then they're like, oh, okay, like these people experienced a lot of the similar feelings that I had. Maybe I felt alone or maybe I felt confused or I, I thought this was a good idea, but I didn't know where I was going. But I was driven by that that like deep feeling of, I don't know if it's like being compelled or you just feel like you're doing the right thing. You know, for me, one of the things that I, I didn't mean to cut you off, Jenna. that's okay. I need that. I'm just thinking of. I have a big Italian family and I feel like sometimes it's it's like, yeah, I'm just going to keep talking until someone speaks louder than me. I love it. This is going to be great. Um, But I, I think that you're absolutely right. I, one thing I think that's true about me that I don't find to be true about everybody that I find to be the most interesting thing is that not everybody thinks that you can just go ask somebody who might mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And generally they want to tell you. I mean, yeah. I wrote a cold call to an architecture firm in Los Angeles, info at and that's who I wrote it to. I did not have, I don't know. I did not know anybody there. I never, but I said, here's what I think. 
and I made a and I made a decent argument for why I thought that they could help me figure out industrial solutions using this material. And they are my partners today. Yeah, it's just like you got to sometimes you got to shoot your shot. Right? You're going like, to miss every shot you don't take. You're going to yeah. miss everyone you right? don't take. Wayne and if Gretzky. I could tell, that's right. If I could tell if it, my my best advice was that you're going to if you don't try, you're not going to get it. And if you do try and don't get it, who cares? Yeah. Like at least you tried. Well, also like what did you learn? Like go finish that thought. Like don't stop because somebody might say no. Go ask them why they said no. Yeah. What I, I want to know like is those are like leading. So that mindset of like, if you don't try, you're never going to know. And then if you don't get what you, like where you think you're going, you're still going to learn something from it. And then also, especially with going back to this like imposter syndrome situation, right. I constantly am telling myself, like when I see somebody that maybe I'm intimidated by, or I feel like they're more successful than I am, or I want to reach out to them, but I'm a little bit scared Mm -hmm. is that uh that's just a human being right it's just as simple as that that person that you're intimidated by for whatever reason is a human being just like you are and so you reaching out to them just think about like how you would react if if you flipped the scenario so exactly right how awesome would it be if somebody called you and said i think what you're doing is incredible i have some questions yeah. How much time would you make for that person? A lot. Like all the time in the world. For the like rest of my, my life. Yeah. I will talk to you all day long. <laughs> well, that is what has happened to me. And so from everywhere, from sale cloth manufacturers to master sale makers to some of the best architects and engineers in the world, we are cracking this. And it is not easy, right? It is not automatic. It is not I mean, there, but here's what I want to tell people. Nothing is. So I'm not going to stop just because there are some things that make it right. That it's not, oh, it's not just Legos, right? It's not like, no, we have to do some things. We have to work with this. There's some things we have to learn. We need to learn about some, right? I mean, but we're in it for that because we're still using these incredible things. And so mm-hmm. I'm just here to figure out, we're going to have to extend the life of these because I don't think we're going to stop sailing. Right. Right. Because that's where we all feed our souls. All I'm saying is, let's not feed your soul at the expense of the planet. Mm-hmm. Let's let's work together with the planet so we can always do this. Yeah. And will you talk a little bit more about where you source your sales from? Yes. And I asked this question me. because when I was, you know, doing some research on uh, your organization, I, I thought it was you all made a really interesting point and are very intentional about like where you get the sales from in terms of where they're going to end up. Because what I really believe in is we are abusing this earth every way. And what I realized about sales is that they live in the most beautiful areas in the world, right? Which also many times are subject to some of the most severe weather events in the world. So there are, there are, my idea about sale to shelter is that these sales live in in places around the world strategically so that they can be on the water. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to avoid is the idea that we have to make new new tents, new resources, new shade and shelter from wherever we're doing that in the world. We're tapping new resources all over the world and then we're just fossil fuel after fossil fuel. Just like, okay, 
take it, make it, ship it, ship it, unpack. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. more and more and more. And I'm like, wait, where are you? So what happens is I have partners around the world who are sale manufacturers, sale manufacturers. My, my, my biggest supporter right now is Doyle sales. And this woman in, in New Zealand, Emma Hendy is her name. She's the COO of Doyle. And she contacted me and said, I don't know what this whole thing is about, but we want to be part of what you're doing and we want to support you. So let's work on it. We've a cold call, right? So it was nice to get a cold call back finally. <laughs> so I got a cold call back and that was in January. And now what happens is we have a living inventory of sales from owners who are not going to use those sales anymore. And they either contact me or they contact Emma and we have a, a record. And when any of my aid partners, International Rescue Committee, World Central Kitchen, Save Our Allies, World Extreme Medics, they call me and say, here's where I am and here's what I want or need. And then I go to my 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 inventory to figure out, okay, you're in right, you're in Ukraine, you're where are where are you? The example in Tonga for there's a great example. So when when the Tonga weather event happened. The, when Russia invaded Ukraine, my world changed. Mm-hmm. I went from being, I'm going to show up after a storm to I'm going to show up after a bombing. Mm-hmm. And that put a whole new frame on the urgency and the type of things that we're able to do. Right. But it's again, it's like, well, if this is what we're called to do, then let's see if we can figure this out. And so when, 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 we take, a, we take a Google Earth shot, right? They give us their coordinates. We talk about the weather that they're having. We talk about the needs that they have. I mean, it's no different than you needing to, to build anything. We just mm-hmm. use different design principles. Not everything, we can't do everything that they need. And, we, and, then, and then we go to work to find the sales, whether they're in UK, whether they're in Italy, and then we, and then we have shipping partners, right? And so it's, it is a it is a completely different system that we're trying to create. And what I, what my argument is, is that the system that they're trying to operate under isn't working anymore. There are so many breakdowns in the system. Yeah. Supply chain is broken. The the last year plus has shown us is we went to this whole globalization system. Yeah. But look at how fragile it is, you know, when a ship gets stuck in, the Suez Canal or, yeah. or, you know, anything like if anything goes wrong, it sets off this chain reaction of, yeah, uh, you know, so many things can then continue to go wrong. And, and, um, I think and there's just people of, waiting, yeah. just people waiting outside, yeah. melting, burning, whatever that's happening yeah, to dying. them, dying. Yeah. This is what they're doing. They're not, they're not eating. They're not, uh, it's just, and I and and I'm here saying, I think I have a solution. I have a little help for material that is otherwise going to go to landfill or sunk in the ocean. It's just not yeah. okay. No. And so now I'm sitting here trying to visualize like these giant sales. So I saw in some of the material that I was reading that some of them can be the size of a soccer field. Yep. And I am just so curious to learn more about the 
the process that a sale goes through to become a shelter. And okay. so will you walk me some, through some of that operation? Yes. At this stage of the organization, it happens in a lot of different ways. And just to be very candid about the whole thing, it is, I am not showing up here saying that I have solved the problem or that it's mm -hmm. all, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know that we're ever going to be a system that is cookie cutter, right? Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a real custom aspect to this. The weight of sales is extraordinary. The tools that it takes um, are you know, so, some of them for big sales, we have to deconstruct them. Sometimes we can deconstruct them with a, literally with a, a mechanical saw. Some of them, we deconstruct the sale completely. And some of them, we use the sale without doing anything to it. I'm working with people on inflatable beam structures. Mm -hmm. We're working with elastic grid structures. Where, it, where you can literally take some of these sails and drag them on top of a frame, like from the bottom up over top of them, and now they suddenly become a dome. I mean, we're, we're doing, we're, we're moving these things and deconstructing these things in, in ways that don't, that we're treating them like a, like a building material more than a sail okay. when we're building with them, right? I mean, so they aren't, I have architects who are committed to making sales work without any deconstruction, and that's taking a little bit longer from a design perspective and a workshop perspective, because there's just as much, I mean, the material when it's deconstructed and reused is just as valuable as, you know, as, as, uh, I mean, it's more valuable sometimes because we're not having to deal with, I mean, sales aren't flat, right? They're, they're, they have a luff in them because they're meant to hold the wind. So the only way to get that material flat is to deconstruct the sale. So go ahead. And, um, so all of these, so these shelters, what I'm hearing is they all, are they more of a custom build? So I, I would, I was thinking like maybe they would all be sort of similar in like size and shape and uniform, but is it more like you all listen to what, the need is and then create something that is the best fit for that situation? I'm going to just say yes. So we, <laughs> <laughs> we do, we do both. Um, okay. The part I love the most is the customization, right? When somebody calls and we get to all work together, that to me is when you get all of those different disciplines in one room around one table and you magic happens. I mean, Jenna, it's straight magic. I'll invite you to the next design charrette. I would love that. Absolutely, you will be there. It, I mean, it. We had fourteen people on the last call for four hours. We were do. I mean, it just it, everybody just designers throw up ideas. Engineers and sale makers come in and say why it will work or won't work. Uh, every single sale, Jenna, is different. There is not one that's. There aren't two that are the same. So, oh, this is really fun. I don't even know if I. I think I might have mentioned this to you. We were just accepted. Sale to Shelter was just, I wrote a proposal in the spring of the year to one of the leading textile engineering schools in the world out of North Carolina State University. And the people that apply to these programs are like Nike, Under Armour, uh, Laurel Piana, Prada. So 
these companies, major consumer brands are going into this, these grad students and, and, and asking them to help solve commercial problems for them. Mm-hmm. Because we can't, I mean, you know, it cost me millions of dollars to stand up a textile engineering lab. But one of the issues, not one of the issues, a lot of, I mean, these sales are made from polyester and plastic, right? This is a plastic laminate. There is a Dacron material that's just plastic. And we are actually working on melting that material down and using it as 3D printing for, for slab housing. Oh, wow. Because there is so, let me just tell you, these plants that make this sailcloth material, they run 24-7. 365 days a year. Yeah. They do not turn off. This is not going away. We are going to continue to make these. So I'm proposing things to sale manufacturers like subscription agreements, like ask them to pay. If they pay $7,500 a year, they'll get all the sales they need from you. And you give me all the sales that they bring back. Because this particular sail, this you know, uh, if you're talking about a 22, 26 foot boat, and you and you have a sail kit, you're going to go through those sails. But what uh, they're just in people's garages, and then they all just wrap them up and they go put them in a dumpster somewhere, and then they all end up in landfill, and they never deconstruct. Yeah, and it makes me sick. It really does. It makes me sick, and it makes me feel like something. I mean. What makes me, actually what it makes me, Jenna, is hopeful because I believe we are going to solve the problem. I believe it because I think, I think you've, you say this, that this is a recurring theme. You know, a few years ago, people might not have paid as much attention, right? It's just, we are in a different time. You cannot ignore what's happening to the climate. You mm-hmm. cannot ignore that people are being moved off of their land due to desertification because there's no more food. They can't support their life Mm -hmm. because the earth is burning up and we're out sailing right i mean and we're just take 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 so i'm just like as a community let's just use these and if we have to do something to the material post sale life to mitigate any sort of further damage to the environment or reduce then let's do that but yeah. let's not let all, I mean, I'm going to build refugee camps for the International Rescue Committee around the world based on the waste that's sitting in shipping containers that nobody knows what to do with. I'm going to go use that. And because the sailing industry and my sail manufacturers, these are passionate water people. That's how we all got there. Right? Mm-hmm. So the support that I get is really, I mean, I think that they get it. You know, like I have people donating sales all over the world. I get, I mean, and, and, and then we go get them. Yeah. And will you talk a little bit more? I know you've mentioned a few places where you are um, sending shelters and setting up shelters, but will you talk a little bit more about that and um, some places where your shelters are being used now? Yep. Um Currently, I am. We are working on two different structures at the Texas-Mexico border, with a with um, an engineering firm down there that we were introduced to through World Central Kitchen. We are working. I mean, ironically, I'm shipping material and designs into Ukraine that I don't get to know where they are. 
Mm-hmm. So, right. I mean, you want to talk about imposter syndrome. It's like, how am I building medic tents? Right. And so I'm getting requests for material and we're helping them design based on the material that they're getting, but I'm not allowed to know where some of this stuff is. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. But it's going but through it's sort of this probably like out of body experience sometimes where you're like, I started this project. It's exactly how it feels. And now I am helping people that are in literally the worst situation imaginable in Ukraine. Like we need a tent big enough to drive an armored truck into. And we need a tent that, I mean, and they're telling me we need, you know, what can we do to camouflage it? Can you make camouflage? I mean, I've got sale manufacturers sending me dead stock and, and in scraps to try to figure out if we can turn it into camouflage. And I'm like, how, I mean, you want to talk about out of body. I mean, I wake up some days and I'm like, how desperate is the world if they found me? Yeah. But it's almost like, I feel like I talk about this a lot on the the show, I guess, because it is my show and these are my beliefs, but like, I fully believe that we're like souls embodied here to learn about like whatever lessons our souls need to learn and the universe will present them when the time is right. And when you need to embark on this different journey or this path and this is yours. That's right. I've accepted that. Yeah. I have, I've accepted that. And I'm really excited about it because the, the, the coolest thing is that, is that once we figure it out, I mean, and we will in a way, I don't know. I don't know that it'll ever be, I don't know. I think it's just going to be a new system. I'm hoping that people will think about their material differently and how can it be used in your, you know, you talk a lot about community, Jenna, on your, in your show. And I feel like that's such a, this community has really risen up and shown and, and really inspired me even further through their generosity um, and the community of the sailing industry to, to want to make a difference to help people. Yeah. And I mean, we, we spend so much time on the show talking about community and like we, we've even mentioned it on this episode, talking about systems, whether it's systems of power or the supply chain or the ecosystem, uh, because I think it's so worthwhile to just over and over and over again show different examples of how interconnected everything is and how nothing exists in a silo, even though we live in, you know, a, a world that is especially, you know, America and other Western countries. Growing up, I was sort of led to believe like you go, you go to school, then you work for a corporation, and then it's all about like capitalism and making money and it's like it Mm. can be about that but let's take a minute to think about like where our where our materials are coming from where they're gonna go at instead of end of life how do we repurpose them how we can work together so that we're all benefiting and not just like holding people down and oppressing people for me to gain right like there's a different version of this world that Mm. I fully believe can exist. We don't live in it right now. I like to feel like there, you know, there are a lot of people out there like myself, like you, like a lot of people that are on this show that I think see things 
they see the future that I really believe in and I want to work toward. And yeah, it's, I don't really know where I'm going with this other than just ranting about something that I'm really passionate about. But I, I like, I really would love to hear your thoughts on just like, I am a systems junkie. Yeah. Like the power of community and the power of systems, like when they're working together in this like flow state versus, you know, as these individual silos that are uh, like working and oppressing against each other and opposition to each other is the word I was looking for. But yeah. Well, one of the things that's, that people also don't know about, about, and, and one, you know, I mean, I want everybody to, to watch sailing, to tune into sailing, to, to sail, to fall in love with it. Call me, contact me, reach. I'll make sure that I get you on a boat. The more people I can expose to the, to the activity or the sport, you know, find it however you want to find it, cruise, race, whatever. But one of the things that happens with these boats is that they move around the world and they move around the world. A 52, eight 52 foot yachts will be put onto a shipping vessel and moved around the world. You can Google that and you can see what that looks like. That is not an isolated activity that happens all the time. My argument is you have a dock full of sails in Italy that you don't need, and you are going to put your boat onto a shipping container with eight others and take it to the Mediterranean, right? Or, or Sydney, mm-hmm. say you're going down to Australia. It's like just sail it. <laughs> oh, well, you know, definitely not going to sail it. I mean, come on, don't be, don't be ridiculous. That's it's outrageous. It's a boat. It's outrageous. <laughs> So what I'm saying is load up the whole of that boat with all of those old sails and bring them to me or take them, right? I mean, move the sails while you're moving the boat if I need them in another continent to do the work. I mean, there's so many sails in Cape Town, South Africa. I mean, it's truly a global. I'm like, take me to the next sailing city and let's go take all of that dead material and go use it inside the country where it's, where it's, where it's deconstructing or not deconstructing as the case may be, because it's in a mothballed shipping container. I mean, Mm -hmm. this stuff is kept pristine. So my argument is, Hey, let's, let's show me where it is. And and I'm going to go use it. I've got eight organizations around the world that need it. And so people are raising their hand and saying, come get it. Yeah. You know, you're reminding me of another um, guest we had on, the show back this winter, they're, uh, they're this couple that's based in Portland and they run a company called Rugged Seas where they partner with um, the working waterfronts here in Maine and they recycle old fishing bibs into all different kinds of apparel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we just need more of that, right? Like, Yeah, sustainable fashion, yeah. At their end of their life that don't have to be. Well, my dream is to have a big maker studio in every major harbor port city and that you could go in there, anybody, and and pick out from, you can either make your own or you can pick a certain pattern and you will, there's this all just waste material, whatever it is, right? But there's sewing machines there. You can either make it, you know, buy it and have it made or you can learn to make it yourself. But it's like everything that goes into landfill does not need to go into landfill, yeah. It, that's it's just that simple. And we cannot continue to trash the oceans. I mean I mean honestly, the ocean islands of trash 
I mean, get on a boat. Mm-hmm. You're never going to blow up another balloon when you yeah. when you spend your whole day running around trying to pick up balloons. It's not that much fun to have a balloon to look at when it's going to go <laughs> cost the life of yeah. sea your life. Birthday party will be fun without balloons, everybody. I promise you. Stop Every kid. Them. That's Just right. Stop it. Stop making them. I'm <laughs> like, stop. Yeah making them and yep. and it's like i i don't really feel like i'm a fun buster or a dream killer if i'm gonna take away your mylar balloons folks like <laughs> it was a great idea but we're done with that we got them yep. like and i think that's the thing to me jenna it's like even as a country we're so young like yeah okay i get i get why you did that and i get why you thought that was the best way but all i'm suggesting is that maybe we stop occasionally and go is this working yeah. Hey, like how, is, how we, we doing here? Yeah. How do we continually be better and improve? There's so much room for that. Or even think differently. Like, like, how about just going? Wait a minute. We're 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 creating a bunch of waste. And they go, well, that's the only thing you can do with it. Wrap it up. Yeah. And you're like, well, that's really short sighted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Close minded. I yeah. took the Ellen MacArthur course in circular economy from linear to circular. Um, so that's a really interesting discipline too. If anybody's looking for more ways to think about creating circular economies opposed to linear economies, I don't think we're going to get out of this any other way. I believe it's going to have to go that way. Yeah. And um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm hoping to create a more circular economy for sales. I have not taken on the sailing industry. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of material in this in this industry, but right now I'm. I'm going to focus on sales. Yeah. So I was just going to ask you, but I feel like now I know the answer. I was going to say, are there any Mm -hmm. other materials that you're considering working with? And I I feel like because you're really like in it with the sales right now, I I fully believe that you'll probably say no, but I feel like you're always sort of looking around to see what the other opportunities are. I feel like your brain works like that. So well, here's the funny thing about that is like, for example, the MBA just switched from uh, Spalding to Wilson or Wilson to Spalding, whoever from the MBA gets that, you know, whatever, w- one way or the other, they went from one to the other. And I said to my friend who works at the MBA, like, what are we doing with all those balls? Yeah. And it was just a blank stare. And I was like, this is the point. Why is there a blank stare when you have made a decision to take 40,000 of one thing out of the market and replace it with 40,000 new things. Where are we putting those 40,000 things? That's a great question. And like, we should encourage more of our listeners to think about that, right? Like any material that you have in your house, on your body, in stores, like maybe that's a little challenge that we offer for this episode. It's like, as you move throughout the world the rest of the day or for however long, hmm. Look around you and, and think about where did those things come from and where are they going? That's it. And it's not to me, it's not okay to not think that way anymore. Mm-hmm. To me, I believe it's incumbent on all of us, particularly in the world that we're living in today and the state of the environment. I don't think any of us have the luxury of looking past it anymore. And I believe all of us are responsible for some behavior change. And mm-hmm. I, that is what I am, I am asking the sailing community to create a behavior change. And there's nothing harder in the world, right, than to change behavior. And it has to start in the hearts and minds. And you and 
and then you, I, I'm just trying to continually highlight the the need, right? I mean the and the opportunity, and then of course they're beautiful. So yeah, it's it's how my mind is is working through this. It, it I don't want everybody to feel like they have to go figure out. I mean, this is what I was. It's like your point, right? This is my thing. I was put mm-hmm. here to do this, and I'm and I and I encourage people to just. Everything we're doing is part of a system that might have room for improvement. That's all. Yeah, that's really all it comes down to is is that, I mean, the system definitely has room for improvement. So we can think about where do we, as me, individual person, where am I sitting? Where, where what connections do I have? What interests do I have? What am I good at? What am I curious about? Mm. And, um, you know, who do I know and who would I like to know? And just start there. Well, yeah, it's just people, you have a a great question or a solution or an idea or a, I mean, I get those calls all the day too, all the time. People send me, hey, did you ever think about trying this? Or have you tried this? Or, I mean, these are engineering principles, right? And architectural principles that come into play. And it's it's exciting, you know, and I think Mm -hmm. there's no wrong answers. And so part of that is probably my personality and my spirit of that, Um, I'm I'm uh, I'm excited to be able to to build something new and, and make a difference. Yeah, and we're kind of we're kind of already pivoting to this next question a little bit, but I imagine that there are people listening that may be interested in or in the process of starting their own nonprofit. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that experience has been like for you. Um or is there anything that like you wish you had known before you, you embarked on this journey? I still wish there's stuff I knew. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, we're, there's so much to know. That, oh my gosh. I, I feel like I always say that. There's so much to know. We're never going to know all of it. Like there's every single day. I feel like I learned something new. I do feel like, um, I have been exceptionally challenged in the nonprofit world, understanding the ecosystem of nonprofit. And I have gotten a tremendous amount of pushback around not, it's funny, the nonprofit community does not want any more nonprofits. I fully feel that. Like, they are like, cool. you got to get out of here. We don't and want you. Know you know why? It's because everybody is competing for the same pots of money. That's my take on it. Well, they, they are. They don't want another group coming in and trying to take. They're not wrong. Funding. They're not yeah. wrong. Yeah. And 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 so there's been this this. I'm working with Dwayne Morris Law Firm, and they are trying to inspire me to, you know, I mean, they're again systems. I'm open to consider anything. I don't think I, you know what I mean. Nothing to. I'm not. It, let's try it. You know, maybe there's a different way. And so, from a very legal perspective, there are interesting instruments and tools that you can use to do good work where you don't have to go through all of these awful steps and all of this administrative nightmare to be competing for money that there isn't enough of you're never, you know, it's like, it it just feels like, it feels like what I do to turn a sale into a shelter is easy compared to what this nonprofit situation is. But here's, here's why I went nonprofit. And this is what I, I am asking boat owners to give me something mm-hmm. because if I ask to pay for that thing, first of all, 
I'm now going to create a marketplace that I have to compete in. And I don't want to compete with myself to buy sales. Mm -hmm. My offer is, this is a nonprofit contribution. Now, if you're an international, right? I mean, there's a whole world of this that still has to be explored. This is just really for U.S. boat owners and U.S. sales. Obviously, that's the only thing. I mean, this is my jurisdiction. I will take your sale and And what I don't want the sailing industry to think I'm going to do is turn every street corner in Oakland, San Francisco, LA, and New York into what looks like a marina, Mm -hmm. right? Your sails are not going to be popping up on the street corners as tents. Your sails are going to be used in humanitarian crisis areas around the world as tent cities, right? But it isn't, it isn't going to be where we are building homes in this country or in area. You know what I mean? I I think people are feeling like, I don't want to see my sales become buildings that I drive by. You know, it's like, that isn't what we're here to do. And, And the only way for me to create a business where somebody would donate something, right? I mean, otherwise people are going to be out there competing with me to buy sales. And then what have I done? So I was really looking for a way to solve the problem for the sailing industry. I'll come get it. I'll make it easy for you to get it to me. You donate it, take the tax write-off, handle that on the paperwork, and I'm going to go help people with this material. It's just, that's it's a very simple transaction. Yeah. And so for folks that are listening, I'm sure that, I mean, I feel like just by the nature of this show, like we have people that live along the coast, work along the coast. I'm sure there are probably sailors out there. If somebody was interested in getting in contact with you and following along with your work, how could somebody get in touch with you or learn more? Well, I invite everybody to do that. Um, I, I, in the show notes, I don't know what you'll, but my, my email is Angela at sail to shelter.com. It's T-O-S-A-I-L-T-O, shelter.com. Um, we t- we're taking sales. I am, I, depending on where you are, I mean, we'll figure out how to get your sale or what sale you have or how that works into our inventory or our planning. Happy to make that happen. Um, and we're always fundraising, you know? So, so I am going to, I've also been asked to make bags. I was really trying to avoid making bags because so many people are making bags out of sales. It's like uh, sea bags here. Yeah. We have that. I know. I don't think it's, I don't know if it's based out of Portland, but there's definitely one in Portland. It might even be based out of Portland, but they're awesome. And I send a lot of people to sea bags. I'm like, there are so many great folks doing this. And it's interesting for me since I came from actually the garment industry. I mean, my dream was really to have like Stella McCartney pick this up and make, right. But, (laughs) but then I moved into this idea that I would be, that I could make buildings and that sort of trumped my passion for making backpacks, but I continually get this request for backpacks. And so I have a design and I'm going to go into production and I'm going to make some bags for an insurance company out of Bermuda, actually, who is going to use sail to shelter, um, to help construct, uh, resilient centers and community centers. Sometimes, sometimes Jenna, sometimes everything is gone Mm -hmm. leveled Mm-hmm. And they need they need dry storage, or they need to stand up something where their people can worship or come together and eat. I mean, sometimes they just need a, 
a space that's covered, it's very simple. There's nothing, that's all we're doing, right? We're moving material that's otherwise going to be thrown away to help people who are otherwise in shock and trauma. Yep. To offer some shelter for them. So that they can rebuild their lives. Mm Mm-hmm. After something happened that was no fault of their own. Yep. The fear. I mean, I've got, I'm working with a group out of Boston. They're building uh, playgrounds and playground materials using this material. They're making, I mean, there's just, people are so creative. And so if anybody listening has anything that they would like to try or do, call me, you know, I mean, let's see if it works. Let's try it. I'll put some, I'll get some material in your hands and let's see what we can do. I love that. Yeah. So, um, this next series of questions I ask to all my guests. So if you listen to the show, you're probably familiar. Here we go. (laughs) Um, so starting with what do you think is the most pressing environmental challenge that we're facing? Food, food systems. Yeah. We don't have enough food to feed people. We have not taken care of the earth. The earth is not healthy enough to produce food the way it should be. Um, this is the, this is the linear to circular part for me. Um, we're not giving the earth enough time to recover, to grow. I also don't think we do enough with bamboo. I could spend four hours talking about bamboo. We are building elastic grid structures using bamboo that are holding up sails that weigh hundreds of pounds. There's pretty Mm -hmm. incredible things that we're doing. You can eat bamboo too. Anyway, I think that food and food systems, I think that regenerative agriculture has to be implemented everywhere immediately. And that's my biggest fear is that we're going to run out of food. Yeah. Regenerative ag is incredible. I actually had, um, she's my cousin, but she's, she's amazing. So it's not like, it's like nepotism adjacent (laughs) my favorite on, on the show because I think what she's doing is incredible. She lives, um, in, well, now she lives in New York, but she, at the time she's living in Vermont. She's fully into regenerative farming, I think, um, especially for, you know, like we- the Western world to to take that on and looking at systems, right? Like mm. if you look at how broken that system is where we have our entire grocery stores at every single day, we're throwing out how many pounds of food waste that, and then you have people going hungry like that is, to me is a huge indication of a breakdown in the system that like there is so much food but uh people are sort of hoarding it in addition to like the aspect of when we have like big ag and we're taking off all the topsoil and our our soil isn't healthy God, and able so to produce bad. like it used to right there's so many kiss the animals. ground everybody should go watch kiss the ground I don't know I when it was made. That. Oh, it's it, it, the Rodale Institute put out this movie called Kiss the Ground. I think it's still on Netflix. It, it In that film that I watched, I don't know, two or three years ago, it said we have 60 harvests left on this planet. Six mm-hmm. zero. And that was three years ago. So I'm not great at math, but I'm just saying, I don't know how old you are, but <laughs> I'm 33. we're running out of food, girl. Like, yeah. like, I feel like that is required information that should go. And here's what's crazy to me. Just when you just went through that whole thing that you went through about the topsoil, it gives me anxiety because I don't know how we keep stepping over this. And when you talked about how much food is thrown away every single day in this country, in this country, in the, yeah, just in this country, I and can't. how many people are starving in yep. other In this places. country. In this in, country. Yeah, right. It's not even other places. Thank you for bringing that up, right? It's like even in our own country, 
Um, How is that? And also beyond, right? Like there's such a uh, breakdown in in this system and in the world of people that have the privilege to have the food versus the ones that don't. And yeah, I mean, it is anxiety inducing. I think I've got to go to the water. I got to go. I got to go. Yep. Wow. It, is, it really is anxiety yeah. inducing. And I, I, I kind of talked to some of my family and friends about this at times where, you know, when I am not at work, I, uh, don't necessarily always want to be like the, the Debbie Downer or um, I feel like I'm not necessarily like I'm not a short tempered person, but there are times where I feel like I just get really frustrated because I spend a lot of time thinking about climate and these problems and talking about them. And then I feel like sometimes I go out in the world and a lot of people aren't quite there yet or on the same page and then I get very frustrated because for me this is a crisis and it's the only thing that matters like if our planet isn't livable then nothing else matters it's literally not even an overstatement yeah it's just the truth and 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 it's and it's just it's so hard for me it's so hard for me to understand how uh, it's it's like every water bottle does matter. You guys, like it does matter. Mm-hmm. We have to, it, it's just, it, oh my gosh, it makes me insane. One of the things I'm doing that's really cool that I love is the international rescue uh, committee who I didn't know anything about, but was introduced to them obviously because of the work I'm doing, but they, I didn't even understand the whole refugee system do you want to talk about that? I mean, you want to have that podcast? How does it, <laughs> what is a refugee? Okay. This is something that happens That's, to you. Yeah. Oh yeah. And now you are now moved. And if your family can come with you, you're lucky, but let's say you've been moved to Sacramento and now you're in a community in a country that you don't know, speak the language, eat the food, look like anybody else. Good luck. This yeah, is what is happening. You think about um, I see this regularly here in Maine with the Somali community, mm-hmm. um, where they are not they're met with just extreme resistance and angst and straight up racism from Maine. Maine's a very white state, and that's I mean this is a whole other, I know we could do a whole other podcast on this, but it's like, that makes me so angry to see people within my own community treat other people who are coming here because it's a, it's supposed to be a safe place to live and not welcoming them and making them feel at home here and I don't think a lot of those people who are, you know, on the side of not welcoming any of the refugees to Maine or anywhere else spend much time thinking about what that person's experience has been like. I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think that, I mean, I want to, now that I understand how that goes, can't we make that experience better for them? Even just as humans and, and kindness and grace, these yeah. people did not choose to be here. 
Trust me, they don't want to be here any more than you want them here. Yeah, and think about how scary it is. Yeah, think about if the shoe was on the other foot. I'd be terrified if I was moved somewhere, especially if I wasn't able to travel with my loved ones. Don't speak the language. Just want to fit in. And it it's like the last thing that... When you're getting attitude from people who don't understand why you're a brown person standing in their white grocery store. Yeah, and no one even tries to understand. Right. No one tries to understand. They just don't understand the concept of refugee. I have a guy on my team who was at 10 years old. He and his family in Bhutan were put into a refugee camp where they lived for 17 years. Mm-hmm. It's just broke my heart. So it's always awesome. I, I go to him whenever, you know, I mean, it's like, well... I mean, we're really working on designing refugee camps. I mean, we're working on how many ways can we use this material from everything from water collection to laundry bins. I mean, what do you need? They need everything we need, only they're doing it on a piece of dirt or in Mexico, a slab of concrete. So we only have this many natural resources left in the world to pull from. How many buildings are we building this year around the world? I don't think we have enough, right? Like, it's just... Yeah, or, you know, how many things do they need and then how many of those items that they need have just been disposed of here because it was the easy option is to throw it away rather than repurpose it. That's right. Yeah. We um, have so, to go somewhere positive. We yeah. Ha- we have to end this on... Well, on a, so that's where I was going, right? Is like, yeah, I don't want to end it, but I was like, I, I don't want to leave people thinking like, Oh, no. this is a- so definitely intentionally design the questions to end on more of a hopeful, uplifting note, every conversation, because this stuff can be really heavy. Like this is, these are real issues. Mm. And like when we said earlier, like the real life impacts of these issues are people are dying. And a lot of those people are not privileged white people for now. Like we act like we're sort of immune to that because it's not hitting a lot of privileged white communities as hard as indigenous communities, low-income communities, black communities, Latinx communities. But these are real people's lives that, I mean, people are dying and feeling the real impacts of climate change in these broken systems. Mm. And if we have the power to change it, we need to be doing that like I and like I think it comes back full circle where I'm like nothing else matters if our planet isn't livable like that is full stop full stop yeah that's just how that is what leads me every single day when I wake up thinking about that kind of stuff but we definitely like to end on more of that uplifting hopeful note because there are opportunities right there's so much that we can be doing to create some good and some progress. Well, and so world. much we are doing. And I, I mean, I think that what, what I want to leave the inspiration is use the lens that you've created in your life. Mm-hmm. Use everything that you've ever been given or experienced. And that, that those are uniquely yours and only yours. And those need, those become your fuel for the decisions that you make. And for me, I like to make decisions that are aligned with my values and when I'm doing that, then I'm making I, I, I'm making all of those decisions that are right. And and to me, I it's the same way for the environment, right? Yeah. It's like, what is it that you value about this place? And then what are you doing mm-hmm. to keep it that way? I think and in the sailing community, they're doing a lot. I mean, I'm really proud of them. I'm very excited. I mean, I am so ex- What I want to have, my dream is for this to become endemic to sailing. Yeah. 
that everybody just knows that we use these things to sail and then we use these things for this. And then we recycle them. That's it. Yeah. I think that's perfect. I think that's a perfect note to wrap it up on. I feel like the two of us, I mean, we could even have our own podcast. We have so much. I think we're going to, (laughs) we're going back to that imposter syndrome podcast. Oh yes. Uh, That, that is like, that's, but I will have you for, we could wait into <laughs> forever. I know. I definitely need a psychologist on board for that. <laughs> yeah, I'll ask my therapist. To yeah, exactly. Could you just call in for this. One hundred twenty-five dollars. I'll send you the. I'll send you my my whatever. <laughs> just start recording my therapy sessions. There you go. That is something that no one needs to hear, but I'm right. sure it would be very entertaining. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. Delete. Yeah. Yeah. Angela, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm just so grateful that we were connected and I'm really looking forward to staying in touch. And this was just an absolute pleasure. So, so thank you again. Oh, thank you so much. I can't wait to have you out for a design charrette because I know that with whatever it is that you see and believe, right, you'll have something to contribute. Yeah, certainly. Process. I, I'm, I'm serious about that. Please let me know. when. That no, I am place. too. Yes, I will. I will. Um, I'd also like to thank the listeners. If you like what you heard and want to hear more of this show and others like it, you can find the American Shoreline Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribes, rates, and reviews are very much welcome and appreciated. And if you enjoy social media, you can find us online at Coastal News 365 on Instagram and Twitter and the American Shoreline Podcast Network on Facebook. You can also connect with me personally. I am at Jenna Valente on Instagram and at Yenna Benna on Twitter. So please find us online and let's chat about our beautiful coastlines. Mm-hmm.